Hello. Hello. You're wearing a fleece. It was the hottest day of the year today and you're wearing a fleece. I know. Are we recording? Oh, yes, we are. I know because I've just been in the sea and I slightly overestimated the warmth and so now I am slightly chilled to the bone. Since I've last spoken to you, I see you've acquired a gnome. Yes. I've completely done a 180 on gnomes. There was a time when I thought no to the gnome. Um, Yes, I'm afraid I'm still with that. (laughs) Don't we have to say hello, do you think? Say hello. To who who are we saying hello to? To the listener. Hello, it's podcasts. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Dolly. Where's the little animal, Dolly? Where's it? Where's she gone? (gasps) Bob, what's that noise? What's that? Where's Wolfers? Hello, Paddy. How are you? Hello, Maria. I'm locked up and down, but allowed out more now. <laughs> I'm very pleased to hear it. You don't like being locked up and down. How is Bob coping today? Bob has been spoiled because I was told by a vet that if you want your dog to have meat, which I know not everyone does, give your dog a raw chicken wing. Yes. Now, you can burn the bacteria off with boiling water because chicken skin is always said to have something nasty on it, even for humans. So I bung it in boiling water and then I give him it with some kibble underneath. So he's had that tonight with the results that he's now horizontal, looking at me as if I am the best owner of a dog anywhere. <laughs> I like that tip about the boiling water to get any sort of uh, salmonella issues off your chicken skin. Is it the skin that obviously is the bad thing? Yes, I think so, because humans are told, don't wash your chicken. Put your chicken in a hot oven. Don't Um, wash your chicken, Mrs. Worthington. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That famous Noel Coward classic. (laughs) Don't wash your chicken, Mrs. Worthington. But uh, no, so Bob's very well. How's Dolly? Dolly's good. Dolly has been looking at me most peculiarly because I won the lottery, Paddy. I got randomly selected for a COVID test of no apparent reason. Um, You know, they're doing general farming them out. So I have been putting things, long things down my throat and up my nose to Mm. send my COVID test off. I mean, I don't have any symptoms, I have to say. Not that you would catch it on Zoom, which we are currently on. Have you had the results back yet? No, no, no. I've literally just got it today and just done the test. And it's not at all unpleasant. I mean, you know, it's like getting something stuck in the back of your throat momentarily. You might know what I mean by that. Well, <laughs> it's a very sensitive area. And <laughs> I think what, yes. you're, what you're doing is you're doing your bit. Yes, I'm doing my bit so that the government can <laughs> say that they've sent out lots of tests. No, let's not get political. I don't know what I'm doing my bit. They took too much of my information. I didn't like that bit at all. Yeah. But we'll see. Dark pod. Oh, who's at the door? <laughs> Oh, it's a doorbell, Bob. It's a doorbell. Now, do you recall many moons ago when life was very different? We spoke to a lovely vet called Andrew Prentice. I do. He's been a vet for 40 years. Very experienced, has seen, I guess, thousands and thousands of dogs. Yes, and seems to have loved them all. He's one of those that genuinely, a bit like Dr. Noel Fitzpatrick, who is the super vet who gives gerbils titanium legs. Um, but he talked to us about holistic dog treatments and you asked him a question which made me laugh a lot, which we just said to him, I was in the park the other day and a lady just went to her dog, Boris, 
why? <laughs> and he talked a lot about how we talk to our dogs and how our personalities are transferred onto our puppies. Yes. And he was a lovely chap. I remember very much pushing the carrot as um, a food for dogs. And yes. I've, I've since learned that it's very good to steam or partially boil your carrot because the dog can break it down easier if it's been cooked. Do you think you look after your dog better than you look after yourself? Well, no, I've, in lockup, I've been, down. Looking, I've been um, cooking a lot more for myself. I'm making chicken broth now and again. I, then I have mm. a lot of pasta. I'm trying to now branch into making my own pesto. Very good. Uh, so I do, and also I... you can boil all the chicken bones up and make a lovely stock for your risotto. Mm. Did you yes. know that? I do know that. I, ha I haven't made a risotto ever in my life, but I have been boiling chicken bones for a very long time. Uh, so anyway, what other subjects? I remember the carrot. Um, and exercise. How important exercise is for a dog. And also, don't overfeed. People think that they are treating their dog and that their dog will love them more if they give them more treats and you just get a big, fat dog. I remember seeing a lady in the vets with a very, very obese, um, one of those dogs that are a bit dangerous. And this dog was panting so much. Uh. And she had a massive bag of bacon and cheese treats. And it was called Princess Beauregard. And she said... What Princess Beauregard wants, Princess Beauregard gets. And this sprawling mass of blubber was just sort of oh. almost looking at passers-by saying, help me. <laughs> She's overfeeding. I'm living with a feeder. Oh. So Andrew Prentice talked very much about don't overfeed and um, about hygiene as well. He talks about becoming less resistant to our own dogs. So in terms of passing things on, I don't know if that's relevant in these uncertain times. Yes, and I think as well that we can promise that as this podcast continues forevermore and is sent on a spacecraft into the outer atmosphere and thousands and thousands of years from now, its signal will still be beaming out. We can promise that we will speak to him and or other vets again in the future because inevitably everyone with a dog wants to say, oh, you're a vet, are you? Oh, because you see, the thing is that my little poo-poo is very bad in the morning, but it's very good at night. The flower girl back. I, I missed the flower girl. <laughs> Hello, I talk like that. I'm a flower girl from uh, My Fair Lady. <laughs> yes, I, it's the same as when you sit next to a doctor at a dinner party and you say, I've had this terrible pain in my back. Don't mm. do it to vets or doctors. Anyway, he's the first in a series of expert witnesses that we bring to you as our podcast listener. And we hope you'll find it interesting. And you can reply to us on Twitter with all your suggestions for how we proceed. But we are delighted to say, here we go with vet of more than 40 years experience, Mr. Andrew Prentice. Andrew, it's very kind of you to come today You're and welcome. talk to us because I know that in your practice in Hyde Park, you dealt with a lot of holistic treatments for dogs. Now, yes. can you just run some of those by us in some way? Right. I've always felt that, that medicine is a pretty broad church, mm -hmm. you know, and the conventional medicine that we know and love that our doctors typically dispense for us has really only been around for less, well, certainly for less than 100 years in that form. And there are other, other systems of medicine which have been around for very much longer, which are sometimes entirely appropriate. Um, this is highly controversial. The sort of stuff we used before the NHS, basically. Well, indeed, yes. And the yeah. invention of penicillin. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. But for dogs. 
but for dogs and for cats, yeah. And, and it's the way I chose to bring up my children, for example. Um, as cats we, and dogs. As cats and dogs, yes, <laughs> exactly. Good. They don't like to chew on a nice bone in the evening. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so right from the time I set up the practice, I thought, well, I think there's a role for homeopathy in veterinary practice, and a lot of people will be guffawing with laughter at the thought of it. But actually, over the years, I've seen many, many episodes where cases didn't progress the way I would have expected them to. And the only thing we did was homeopathic. So I'm quite happy on an anecdotal basis that it can make a big difference to some cases. It's not for everybody. It's not for every patient. Can you give an example of a cat and a remedy that you can remember from 40 years of practice? There's one particular cat I remember very well was this lovely lady who had adopted a cat and what she wanted was the cat that would sit on her lap and purr and be happy, be pleased to see her and really friendly and affectionate. And she adopted a cat and the cat was a nightmare. It was aggressive and it ran around the place, it escaped from her, it peed all over the place. It was not the cat she wanted. And we toed and froed with this for a long time trying to figure out what was wrong. In the end, I thought, okay, well, let's just try a homeopathic remedy here. And I went through the whole process, and I took some advice, obviously, from, from some of my veterinary homeopath colleagues, and ended up giving it a remedy. Off the top of my head, I can't remember what the remedy was. I saw her two weeks later, and she came back into the practice just to say, what on earth was that? Because this cat now was so relaxed and so happy and would just come and sit on her lap and it would purr and be happy and doing all the things that she thought. And the only thing we'd changed was giving it a particular remedy. It's a shame we can't remember because well, otherwise I'll obviously just think, well, that was obviously Valium. But it, could, the cat Valium. No, but it could have been, it could have been a herb. But was it well, given daily or once? If I remember correctly, we probably gave about five doses. And I would regard that as the exception that proves the rule. You know, that was something that shouldn't have happened. There was a very long established behavior pattern there. Now, you could say it was chance. You could say the weather changed. You could say that suddenly the, uh, this cat, you know, became senile or whatever it was. I've seen that kind of change on lots well, of occasions. Also, I was going to say, in 40 years of working with animals using holistic treatment, yes. you wouldn't have carried on doing it if you weren't no. seeing results. No, exactly. You know, and, so, as a skeptic, I would have to say, you know, you clearly saw it working and therefore... Yeah, and, and right from the start, there's a very small group of professionally qualified veterinary homeopaths. And so I always made sure that we had one who was a regular visitor to the clinic. And they wouldn't have kept coming if they weren't busy. They were full, there was regular people coming to see them, and people are not daft. You know, if their animals are not getting better, they're not going to keep coming back and going through the whole process just Lucy, to prove the point. you say that people aren't daft. I think with regard to their pets, I think people are extremely daft. Uh, well, daft. Answer yes. that. <laughs> and let's not talk about any of your customers. Let's not embarrass them. No, let's no, no, talk of about. We know Generic. That we, yes, and we've been joking on this hit podcast about <laughs> a needy streak in pet owners. Yeah. You just said the cat woman wanted the cat to purr and look happy. Yeah. And dog owners similarly want waggy tails and wet noses. Yeah. And it's answering some need in the human, and the animal is just there to kind of be a kind of first world tail wagger. What's wrong with that? It is Which a bit like good a, a first world you know, executive toy almost. Well, I think a lot of people yeah, have dogs and but cats But, you know, you that. could apply the same way of thinking to almost everything to we children. do. To children. You know, people who seek out a partner or people who get a particular job or people who choose to do stuff in their leisure time. I mean, they do it because it gives them some kind of gratification. There are many, many reasons why people might want to have a pet. Yeah. And if you look at the spectrum of types of people there are in the world, yes, there are plenty of people who are completely bonkers. It doesn't mean they're wrong. Is, it, there, is there a bonkers person... <laughs> 
Is there a bonkers person with a sane pet? I mean, is it the case that bonkers behaviour in Bonzo, well, you mean, the you Bedford Terrier... Don't is... talk about me, Andrew. I could <laughs> see you... you are you, are you cautiously talking about Maria at this point? <laughs> Let us imagine a blonde you. woman with a poodle. And let's just give her a random name, <laughs> Maisie. No, but is, is there any animal behaviour which is not explained by the human owner? Well, people tend to rationalise or tr attempt to rationalise the pet's behaviour because actually a lot of people do tend to over-humanise the behaviour of their pets and make, and make mistakes about what's going on inside the pet's mind. And if the owner then behaves in an inappropriate way as a response, then you can start to develop a behavioural problem. So, with a dog, with a dog or a cat. With a dog or a cat, so yes. Our, yeah. our need to anthropomorphise, as you say... Do you think that's growing as we're reaching kind of peak dog, peak animal? Um, I think it's possibly growing as we get more and more separation, if you like, from the natural world. Particularly in the cities, we live in a world where we're so divorced from any kind of uh, natural reality. You know, people don't don't intuitively perhaps understand animals. They certainly don't understand where food comes from. And I think there is a temptation to see an animal a little bit more as a game rather than part of our natural environment. I saw a woman in the park say to her badly behaved dog, Why? <laughs> and what did the dog answer? Well, I just thought, now, although I'm pretty stupid with my dog, and I, why? Boo-boo, why? Now, if, we, if you take as an example an owner that over-humanises, yes. what could be some of the behaviour that would result? Well, how could a dog become badly behaved because it had been treated like Stephen from Accounts instead of a schnauzer from Maidenhead? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, inadvertently encouraging behaviour. Here's, here's a good example. Yeah. Um, you have a dog. You come back in through the front door. The dog's excited to see you. You're excited to see the dog. The dog jumps up to see you. And you go, no, 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 Maisie, get down, get down, because you don't want the dog to scratch your lovely stockings or clean trousers or whatever uh -huh. they are. Best game in the world for the dog. That's excitement right? for the dog. That's excitement for the dog. So, of course, the dog's going to do it next time because you come in the door and yeah. suddenly give it 100% attention. Ignore the thing. So, yes, if you want to do it, you don't do the instinctive thing, which you would do to Clive from accounts, which um, with the dog, you walk in the door, completely ignore the dog until they've got all four feet on the ground. Right, and everybody's calmed down. Then you can do whatever you want. You roll around on the floor, say hello, give a cuddle, a nose rub, da 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 da. But just think about what action your behaviour is going, going, to to going to produce. And do you think if I got it into my head that my dog was a dog and yes. not some sort of permanent companion, shadow, that it would be easier to deal with its death? Do you think that, that when you meet pet owners and vets, we hear, who are very traumatised at euthanising mm. animals, do you think it's because actually if we did remember that they are a mammal with a shorter lifespan, as long as they've been happy, as long as they're not in pain, off you go, love, we wouldn't be quite so melodramatic? Well, you can rationalise it in those terms. But actually, if you could could completely rationalize it like that there really wouldn't be much point in having a dog you know I and mean, the whole point is the emotional relationship and the companionship once you let a dog into your heart etc etc exactly you know yeah so of course it's really tough and, and um, I remember the first large dog euthanasia I had to carry out you know I was what 20 <coughs> oh <laughs> it's because you mentioned euthanasia Sorry, I won't say that word again uh, shush dolly 
I'm ignoring it. I was, uh, I must have been, what, 24 years old, something like that. And this great big bloke came in with his elderly Labrador. The Labrador had to be put to sleep. We put the, the dog to sleep very calmly, very gently. Everything was absolutely fine. But then, as a young man myself, I was mm. suddenly confronted with this great big bloke who oh. was a lot older than me, who was in floods of tears. That was a bit of a wake-up call that actually I didn't really know how to deal with that at the time. That's where but, sort of therapist comes in. And well, that's pretty exhausting. much. But I think since then, obviously, that's, I've been through that situation so many times. And actually, to be able to do it calmly, professionally, yes. kindly, and guide an individual or their family through the process actually turned, weirdly enough, into quite a privilege. Yes. Really? Yeah. I, mean, I seem to recall, I just wanted to say that um, with my last dog, I have spoken about this on the pod, you were the one that sort of broke the news very gently to me. You won't remember, I'm sure, Andrew, that my dog had quite a bad heart condition and yeah. really wasn't. And you did it extremely well without drama, just facts. And I think that's what you want from a vet. You don't mm. want kind of false promises, etc. You want facts. Yes. And that does help you remember, oh, it is a dog and they will die before you. Mind you, I now always say that you killed it, but there you are. <laughs> I was puppy. about to say thank you, but... <laughs> no, no I, yeah. I thank you in retrospect. Yeah, but I, I think it's a fair comment that if we, if we didn't get so attached to them, there wouldn't be much point. It obviously doesn't have some of the complexity and delights of human relationships, but... So let's they can't go. answer back. That's the best thing, isn't yes. it? That is actually it. I think you've hit the nail on the proverbial. Dark pot. Dolly, where's Bob? Dolly. So let's go to life. Um, now, it seems to me, who's not a vet, that there's a couple of very simple tips. Exercise your dog and don't overfeed it. Uh, that would be a good starting point, yes. Yeah. Anything, what's a great other tip for the dog owner? Um, just think about the way that you respond to things that your dog does, right? Because we see lots of people who come in with dogs who've got behavioral problems. And some of it may be that the dog genuinely is a bit of a psycho and is in the wrong place. But it often comes from people responding inappropriately to things the dog does. So, you know, it's well worth being very careful about how you choose a dog at the start. And secondly, in those early weeks and months, I think it's really worth talking to a recommended behaviorist trainer, somebody get your vets to recommend somebody who they know and trust and let them hold your hand for a little bit at the beginning so that all the little problems that crop up, you've got a reference point and say, okay, my dog does this, how should I respond to that? Because if you get that language right, then actually your dog can be this wonderful stress-reducing thing in your life. Yes, I mean, that's certain I've learned through some dreadful mistakes. Yeah. And one of the things I've recently learned, which I was excited to be meeting you to put this to the test, is that I give my dog carrots and it bulks the food up, but it's very unfattening. Do you think I'm right? <laughs> I don't think there's a problem feeding carrots at all. It doesn't sound like yes. I'd much prefer you to say <laughs> yes, you've hit on a fabulous food source. What do you think about a raw carrot? <laughs> I think you've hit on a fabulous food source for dogs. I think that is the future for you. What are you doing on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> but is it is it a good one? What, what, it's, fine. No, it's, it's, it's fine. We fine. It's, no. <laughs> Paddy, you're listen. not going to get praise for your carrot. No. <laughs> it's a good thing. Enough. Move okay. On. <laughs> the pet food industry 
is a massive industry in the world. I think it's worth, I was just checking actually this morning, something like $94 billion a year worldwide. It's a huge a industry. Lot. And they've done a very, very good job of convincing the pet owners of the world that you have to feed them a certain specific diet that comes in a tin or comes in a packet or else the dog's going to die malnutrition. But actually, just relax a bit and relax a bit about the amount you feed your dog because actually if you've got a big fat buffer of a dog, you feed them less. You know, if your dog's skinny as a rake, but you're feeding it the right amount according to the packet, well, you feed them a bit more. I mean, when we're feeding ourselves or feeding children or people raise families without weighing out every portion, I don't think you necessarily mm. need to do the same with your dog as well. I want to ask you, because I know you did made a program with Clive Anderson about additives in dog food. And there is a lot of schmush, as I like to call it, in dog food. <laughs> is that a technical word? Yes. Oh, good. Yeah. Schmush, which mm. is, you know, fillers, packers, the stuff that bulks it out, which is not necessarily a good thing, is it a bad thing? Do you want an official comment from the Pet Food Manufacturers Association? Well, unless well, you're no, being sponsored by anyone, no, please tell us the truth. Absol abs absolutely not. Well, as, as, as you probably know, I mean, this, uh, we've... But the practice we always used to use and recommend quite a lot of raw food feeding. And certainly when I was talking to Clive that time, that was one mm -hmm. of the issues we discussed then. But you were saying and that that's controversial. Why is that? Why is raw food seen oh, of late as controversial? Well, it's, it's controversial at the moment because people are worried um, about the potential for disease-causing bacteria. Because meat contains bacteria. You know, that's if you cool. go down to the local supermarket and buy yourself a chicken, then it's a high chance it's going to have potential disease-causing bacteria, things like Salmonella, E. coli, sure. Campylobacter, blah, blah, blah. There's concern from many quarters um, that if there are more bacteria in the food, that might be a potential cause of problems for the pets and therefore the cause of problems for their owners as well. The reality is the numbers don't really stack up on that. And there are quite a number of vets in the UK who are offering and supporting raw food feeding and there is certainly a rapidly increasing number of raw pet food suppliers and the reality is I haven't seen any data which suggests that there is actually a rampant disease problem here. It's a theoretical issue which is we're quite right to be concerned about but my personal practical experience was I had so many dogs coming in with health problems terrible skin, poor coat, low energy, chronic diarrhea, all sorts of things like that. And a very significant proportion of those dogs that we put onto a raw food diet transformed their lives. So I was very happy to recommend it. I, you know, you give the standard, standard advice to people about how to manage raw food and you need to be careful. If you've got toddlers crawling around on the floor, you don't want them necessarily eating from the dog's food bowl. But the same would apply to, to regular commercial diets as well. There was a, a, a piece written in The Guardian, I think, the other day about not letting your dog lick your face. Yeah. Why do they do it? They do it for a number of reasons. One we touched on a little bit earlier... The, Positive reinforcement. You know, a cute little dog comes up and licks you on the face. Insecurity. And you, and you go, no, no, no. The human's response is, oh, cute little dog. Oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. You know, and so that's a positive reinforcement for the dog to come back and do it again. We try um, it with my dog. If you, look, <laughs> if you look at the way that young puppies and their mums behave, there's a lot of licking going on with the mum cleaning up the puppy. And, and there are signs of it's deference behaviour. Um, there's cleaning behaviour. There is, they're extremely sensitive to taste and smell and will maybe lick your face 
taste because you know you've maybe got some creams on there they can taste or there's traces of food there so it's it's a mixture of behavioral and exploratory and the fact that you have maybe unwittingly encouraged them to lick your when face. When I was younger people always used to say oh dog saliva is you know it's good for wounds let them lick your wounds which seems now anathema. There are elements in saliva which are reasonably good for cleaning wounds. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But the problem we're concerned about here is antibiotic-resistant bacteria getting into the person. And whether that's through saliva or licking a wound or contact with food bowls, which mm, dogs mm. eating from. Uh, Wash separately, etc. Yeah, I think the, the broader issue is probably doing tongues with your dog, not a great idea. And, and the, other, the other thing is a broader issue is for us to really be careful with the amount of antibiotics that we are using, both for our pets and ourselves. Mm. I have another question for you, by the way, Andrew, that Paddy sent me. He sent me these things anonymously, yes. which was <laughs> about your dog eating poo. Yes. Now, the bit that I read said that it's a kind of hangover from the evolved, you know, they've evolved from wolves many, 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 many years ago. Sounds like so have you when growing up with a dog saliva on your wounds. <laughs> but um, it is apparently coprophagia is incredibly common amongst dogs and mothers eat their puppies' poo, etc. Yes. What's your view on this? Um, <laughs> Would you the... say yay or nay? <laughs> Basically, nay. Mm. Um, I'm not. You can't, I'm... You can't stop them. Well, it's quite difficult to stop them, yes. Um, there are various techniques you can do, and it tends to start mostly with youngsters, and it's inquisitive, exploratory. A lot of dogs actually are in a relatively behaviorally sterile environment. You know, they may be left at home for long periods of time while the owners are out at work, and maybe they don't get out as much as mm. they should do. Maybe they don't have as much social behavior as they should do. At home, you know, they get caught short, have a bit of a dump, and then what else are you going to do? You know, you've already eaten the television and destroyed all the pillows, so maybe you just <laughs> eat a I know, that's what I feel when I'm often <laughs> left home alone. That <laughs> takes me back to my tip, which has been ignored in this podcast, which is... <laughs> Exercise your dog. And I said that hours ago on the during this interview. Exercise your dog. Exercise what, don't overfeed poo. Well, don't overfeed it and exercise it. And then maybe, as as Andrew's hinting, it won't eat the poo. Yes. It's a philosophical point at which to pause, but we'd love you to come back and answer dog pod questions from around the podverse. Absolutely not. <laughs> Whatever that means. I think we might find Andrew is rather busy <laughs> with, with his other commitments. I think we've done very well to lure him away for this one, Paddy, frankly. You're very welcome. It's been very, 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 very lovely to have you on, Andrew, and we'll get and you back. Flirty, flirty, flirt, flirt. <laughs> flirty, flirty, flirt, flirt. Yeah, that's no, the way. No, I'm just saying thank you. Can you try and say thank you? Thank you very much. <laughs> no, thank you. Now who's flirting? <laughs> I love Andrew Prentice. I think he was so kind and charming and knowledgeable about all things dog and also quite fanciable. I do remember you saying to him every time he said anything at all in a full sentence that you'd go, oh, yes. <laughs> That's, is that meant to be me flirting? Because it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I didn't. Whenever he said something good, I'd go... Oh, Andrew, you're so funny and clever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, now we are going to bid you goodbye, but only because we have to carve up the little portions of merriment we can in order to keep this podcast going episode by episode. So join us again very soon when Maria and I will talk about dogs and hear your reactions to our dog pod. But from me, Paddy O'Connell. And me, Maria McCurlane and Dolly. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob. 
Thanks for joining two very needy humans projecting their insecurities onto small animals. 